Welcome to your path to success with Ruth Kearns-Volman. This podcast is all about inspiring, encouraging, and equipping you on your personal path to success. So what does a successful career look like for you? And what will it take for you to navigate your path? That's the topic of my conversation with Zaid Alkasab in today's episode. Zaid is currently Chief Marketing Officer and Diversity and Inclusion Director at Channel 4 in the UK. It was a pure delight to talk to Zaid because he genuinely loves the work he gets to do, both as part of his day job and as he gives back to society. And he talks quite openly about how he has made career choices over the past nearly 30 years of working in marketing and business. I'm pretty sure you're going to love listening in on this conversation, where he shares some really practical principles he's applied to build not only a fulfilling career, but a fulfilling life. Finally, before we get going, I want to point out that Zaid is both a brilliant and a modest person. You wouldn't know from this interview that his team at Channel 4 recently won one of the most prestigious advertising awards for their work on the Paralympics called Superhuman. And in the last few weeks, he's also been shortlisted for an inspirational leader in marketing award by the Marketing Society. Enjoy the interview. Hello, Zaid. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Ruth. Nice to be here. So, Zaid, for, for somebody who maybe doesn't know what Channel 4 is or what a CMO does, how would you describe your job in a nutshell? Well, Channel 4 is a UK public service broadcaster. So we're, we're state-owned, like the BBC, but we are commercially funded. We make most of our money through advertising. We are unusual in that we have a legal remit, which is about representing unheard voices. So that might be from the different nations and regions of the UK. It might be people with diverse characteristic. It might be deliberately challenging the status quo and accepted wisdom so that, you know, we can bring out new perspectives. And even if you don't know about us, because we're UK based, you probably know some of our shows. Right now, there are shows on Netflix like Top Boy and Black Mirror, which started their life on Channel 4, because we are here to take creative risks and talk about stories others wouldn't. And in the UK, there are very famous shows like uh, Gogglebox or The Great British Bake Off, which is now exported around the world. And a lot of comedy over the last couple of decades that ends up being exported around the English-speaking world. So from The Inbetweeners to Friday Night Dinner to Derry Girls, which is our big hit at the moment, often appears on other platforms. So that's what Channel 4 is. What does a CMO do? Well, that's a difficult question because I think a CMO's job definition is different in every company. Here at Channel 4, we're a relatively small organization, so I have quite a wide description. I'd say it's six areas, really. The first one is the obvious stuff, marketing. That's the M in CMO. So marketing and media planning. And because we're a broadcaster, also the continuity team, people who do the links on television. Okay. The second area is comms, so corporate communications, PR, events, things like that. The third area is product and apps. So, you know, if you want to watch our shows and you press a button on your TV or an icon on your phone, that's part of what my team does. And then two different creative services, one an in-house full-service creative agency, like an ad agency, but in-house. And then secondly, an in-house digital content agency that creates and publishes digital content. 
And then I'm also a channel for the inclusion and diversity director. So that's an extra sixth job. Wow. So there's quite a lot of different stuff that you do. What, what do you love most about what you do and, and being at this stage in your career? Well, the variety, I guess no one would do a role that has sort of six different facets if they weren't someone who thrived on variety. And the people that I interact with, you know, the teams here are incredibly creative. Channel 4 is a culture that's about risk-taking and challenging things, and that suits me personality-wise. And we get to make great creative work, and we get to make stuff that makes a difference, which is fantastic. What's one of the things that you're most proud of doing at Channel 4, like in the recent past, like a project or a piece of creative work? We had a very successful series last year called It's a Sin. It was a drama series about the AIDS crisis in Mm -hmm. Britain in the 1980s when it was little understood and there was a greater degree of homophobia than there is today, pleased to say. And as part of doing that series, we managed to dramatically increase the rate of HIV testing in the UK because it you know, made people sit up and listen and understand more mm. about HIV AIDS. Mm. So that's a sort of real social benefit. The stuff we do that's higher profile than that, you know, we are the Paralympic broadcaster in the UK. And when we do the Paralympic Summer Games every four years, it's a real event here and Channel 4 airs it for the whole two weeks and it makes a really big splash. And as part of that, we've made, I think, a measurable difference to how people see disability in the UK. And certainly we're thought of as a channel that's a champion of disabled people. And that that feels good to be able to be involved in something like that. And by the way, that advertising and marketing wins loads of awards. So it's creatively nice as well. And it's quite a privilege, isn't it, to have an impact on things like that, like, you know, people going to get HIV testing or people's awareness of disability. It's it's a huge privilege to be able to have such an impact. Yeah, I'd say I'm incredibly privileged in many different ways, but certainly career-wise, being at a stage where I can work on something that's very purposeful, that connects with my own values, that, you know interests me every day and is incredibly varied and I get to work with a bunch of amazing creative people I'm very lucky to have this job. Mm. It's interesting because when I look back at your CV and we haven't talked for a while it was fascinating for me to see the variety of stuff that you do both in your day job and outside your day job and the variety of stuff you're doing that is a really good mix of things which seem to speak to your values and things which are important to you and to your strengths you know, I'm pretty sure it wasn't an accident that you are where you are now. Can you talk a bit about, you know, how much of getting to where you are today was a gradual evolution? How much of it was purposeful choices? And then how much of it was maybe just serendipity, something showed up? Well, it's certainly closer to an accident than a carefully planned out career. I'll give you that. I believe you have to be happy with the choices you make. They're they're your choices. Mm. But I also believe in serendipity, as you say, in happenstance. And I think my policy has been to be clear where my boundaries are, but to be open to anything within those boundaries. I've never thought about it that hard and I've never expressed it in those words I've just used, but I think that's what I do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've worked in several different industries and and part of my own choice has been never to move to a competitive company in the same industry that feels 
too narrow and too little growth opportunity to me. So I, I've always known when I'm in a job that the next job I do won't look terribly like the last one. Mm-hmm. I get a lot out of the change, experiencing new things, uh, growing personally and professionally by encountering new situations. So I kind of have that boundary, but that doesn't really define a very narrow playing field. It defines a very broad playing field. Right. And I, and, I, and I have things I wouldn't do. I mean, during my career, because I suspect of my background in consumer goods, I've been offered large roles in tobacco, gambling, oil, and they might sound like quite exciting jobs and the pay would certainly be a lot more than I've ever been paid, but they're just not me. I have a boundary on certain industries that I don't want to work in, but that still leaves an awful lot open to me. Mm-hmm. And when those things come along, my policy has been basically to say yes, be that moving to new countries for the work that I've done and you know, worked in Switzerland and in Greece in my career, which has been super exciting to experience different cultures, new industries, which are not necessarily industries I expected to be in. I took a job in a startup in the travel industry, never considered working there before, but the job sounded fun. I didn't particularly think that I would end up in media broadcasting, which I'm in now, but the job sounded fun. Mm. So I've got a general philosophy of saying yes to things that come along and seem to fit what my skills and strengths and purposes without being too fussy about exactly what it is. Mm. And it sounds like the growth was important to you because you mentioned, you know, it sounded fun or it sounded like it wasn't so similar. There was some place for you to grow and learn. Yeah, I think I know myself well enough to know that the thing that makes me go home at the end of a day feeling fulfilled is usually experiencing something new and working out how to deal with it. Mm. So call that personal growth or call that professional challenge, but it's something about that that makes me feel like I've had a good day. The other factor for me is that it involves other people. I know that I wouldn't be happy in a sort of solitary job solving problems on my own. So if it's got teamwork and it's got challenge and new things coming along, then that's probably a job for me. Mm. Have there been any pivotal moments in your career, maybe things which you didn't expect to happen, either in a positive way or a slightly more negative way that turned out to change significantly your path? Well, I never expected to move to work in Switzerland. That kind of came out of the blue. Procter & Gamble, who I was working for, decided they were opening a regional head office in Geneva, and I was working just outside London. And they said, who wants to go and start up head office? And I thought, that sounds quite exciting. But my my wife, or then my longtime girlfriend, you know, she had a job also near London. She earned more than me at the time. She was very successful in her career. But it was a cultural opportunity. And we we had a chat about it and said, well, that'll be interesting. Let's go and do it for six months. And I ended up being there for four years. You know, you, you take decisions when they come along that open doors without knowing where those doors are going to lead to. Mm -hmm. But just knowing that they provide new opportunities and will bring things that you haven't experienced before. Mm. So, you know, was I brave or foolhardy? I I don't know, but I know it worked out. Mm. And and I know in my story, every time I've taken one of those leaps into the unknown, it's always worked out. 
Mm. You know, certainly never expected to work in Greece. I have no friends or family from Greece. And, you know, I'd been on holiday and it has jolly nice beaches, but I didn't know anything else about it. Mm. But when that opportunity opened up, my wife and I looked at each other and went, hmm, Greece might be fun. Let's go and do it. And sure enough, it was. Mm. So I kind of come to the conclusion that as long as you know the boundaries of what you'd find acceptable, and as long as you know yourself well enough to know what a good, fulfilling day at work feels like, right? you can make those choices without being certain of what they are, just mm-hmm. knowing that they fit those principles. Right. So it's about having principles. And I sometimes talk to people about what are your red lights and your green lights? You know, you've got to know what would be a no-go and what would be a yay. And in between, you said something very interesting, I find. You said about, I don't know exactly which word you use, but owning your choice owning your choice and and making it work in a way once you've made it. Yeah, I think people find it hard when there's a lack of certainty. Sometimes when I'm talking to, you know, my own team, my direct reports or people who I'm, I'm sort of coaching at work and they say, well, I don't really know. I always say to them, I'm not sure there's anyone who knows better than you what would suit you. Right. So although you don't really know, you know more than anyone else about this topic. Right. And no, there's no certainty that this will work out. But does it feel like it's in line with the things you enjoy? Does it feel like it's in line with the direction you want to go in your career? Mm-hmm. Does it feel like something that you'll learn from? And does it feel like something that's not a dead end, right? Does right. it lead somewhere? Or if not, is a U-turn easy enough to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if that's the case, then then go for it. Because I think in career planning, there's no such thing as 100% certainty. I remember I had someone who reported to me once who said, I've got my whole career planned out. She was relatively young. She was still in her 20s. And she could tell me exactly what year she was going to get promoted each time into which job and how that was going to eventually lead to her, you know, being the director of the of the department. And I said to her, you know that life never works out like that. (laughs) I don't know what's going to happen to you, but it isn't the plan you've just given me. (laughs) And you do better to forget about having that precise plan because that precise plan will not be fulfilled and you will just feel disappointed. Right. And instead operate on principles of what will be right for you, not on a plan. Yeah, I totally agree. And you talked about, you know, am I opening doors or, or closing doors? And am I okay with the doors I'm closing? I think that's something which, you know, often comes up. Yeah. And I'll give you another example. I went from working at a big, you know, global consumer goods business to working in a digital startup, which seems like rather dramatic change and a big risk to take. But the principle behind that at the time was I'm a marketing communications commercial general manager type person and the world is digitizing incredibly fast if i don't have some sort of digital immersion at some point in the next next decade i'll cease to be relevant so i'll go get some digital immersion yeah to me it wasn't really about what industry that business was in or what it was selling it was about this is going to be a good experience if i hate it i will leave and do something else but I'll learn a lot about digital and that'll put me in a good place. 
And, mm. you know, and sure enough, it did. I don't think I would have got any of the jobs since if I'd not done that. Right. Even though in the end, that wasn't the thing for me. Yeah. And I was going to ask you about that experience of moving from a big corporation where you were for, for 20 years, was it? Yes. Quite a long time. And, you know, I worked in PNG myself and I know that it's maybe not as one dimensional as people might think because you did move countries and categories and so on. But it's still a big change from a big corporation to then branch out. What are you grateful for for the time in the PNG? And what did you learn by leaving? And what did you have to learn in order to branch out? Yeah, I think big corporations can get a bad reputation that they don't really deserve. You know, a, a multinational conglomerate, which is what PNG really is, you know, is incredibly diverse. I was there for 20 years, but I worked in five different locations in three different countries. I had 12 different managers, so you learn a lot from the person who's your manager. Mm -hmm. I worked in marketing and commercial roles. I worked on global, regional, and local businesses, which all have very different challenges. Mm -hmm. I worked on over 30 different brands, right, which is exciting in a marketing career. I worked in a dozen different product categories, which in any other world, you'd have to move company each time to work in. So, you know, that is more varied than people think. Is there a commonality of culture in some way? I suppose there's some commonality, but moving from Switzerland to Greece is probably moving, you know, as diametrically opposed in terms of uh, culture and lifestyle as you possibly can. I don't want to reinforce stereotypes, but I will say one of those countries was much more formal and structured and precise, and the other was much more about personal relationships and informal agreements and was very unstructured. And I will, I will let people listening to this podcast guess which one was which. But was one better than the other? No, neither was better than the other. They were both hugely successful businesses. I learned from both aspects. I hope I am somewhere in the middle of those things and I learned to flex to different needs as a mm -hmm. result of that cultural experience. So, you know, I think I got a lot out of mm -hmm. working in a big corporation that has the opportunities all over the world and in many different things. But yeah, when you leave that, you do lose some security because big corporations take care of you. They have policies for everything. You know where you stand. You understand the pay scales and the way you're expected to work and all sorts of other things that mm -hmm. in tiny companies simply don't exist. You know, there's no IT department. There's no HR department when you're a startup. You're the IT department and the HR department. <laughs> uh, and, and I went from, you know, a business with 100,000 employees plus to a business with fewer than 100 employees at a height 200 employees. Uh, but... I would say what motivates people is incredibly similar. And, it, and it's people that drive a business, right? It's not the policies and structures that drive a business, it's the people. Mm. Bigger businesses need a bit more structure and process because they're more complicated and they've got more people. But at the end of the day, the people aren't inherently different. The people are still, you know, emotional beings living their lives, complex work and outside of work, things going on you know, interactions with other human beings, motivated by similar things and demotivated by similar things. And, and you know, I think that is, that is just the truth. Mm. Were there any challenges or adjustments you had to make as you left? Not really. I mean, people often say it must have been a culture shock, but honestly, I didn't find it such. I mean, yeah, you have to adjust to solving your own IT issues. But apart from that... No, not really, because I think if you believe that business and leadership is about teamwork and people, then 
Mm -hmm. uh, teamwork and people, whatever size those teams are. Mm. I want to ask you a little bit about what you do outside your work or let's say your paid job, um, because in recent years you've got involved in different charities. You've started to uh, speak up on, on issues like men's health and mental health. What's important to you about that? Well, it's only when you're asked questions like you're asking me that one reflects enough to think about how you know one got into these things but I think the common thread of this stuff is that it's stuff I care about and therefore want to spend my out of work time on so I'm a I'm a regulator I'm on the board and council of the advertising standards authority which is the organization that regulates advertising in the UK I do that because you know I'm passionate about doing some good in the industry that I work in rather than it just being seen as a dirty commercial business. And by keeping advertising, you know, legal, decent, honest and truthful, I'm doing some good for the, the industry and the hundreds of thousands of employees that it has in this country. I'm a trustee of a charity, WaterAid, which is an international development charity. And that is very much based on what I believe is important personally in terms of the more privileged people in the more privileged parts of the world being able to contribute in terms of skills and training and expertise to less developed peoples and places. And yes, I do quite a lot in the inclusion and diversity space, including being on the board of Creative Diversity Network, which is the organisation that measures and encourages diversity in the UK media broadcast mm -hmm. uh, landscape. And I'm personally invested, as you say, in men's health through Movember, who I've worked with for many years, and and then in mental health, partly because I'm I'm a depressive and I've also suffered from anxiety periods, and and I think that's something that needs normalising and talking about. And, and listed like that, it sounds a lot more organised and coherent than it is. You know, some regulation to do with work and some charity for the world and some things I believe in in diversity and some personal things to do with health and mental health. It didn't happen like that. It's not a plan on a piece of paper. It's another consequence of my approach, which is I say yes to things that fit on the playing field that I've defined as what they both enjoys and can contribute to. Mm. That's, that's what it is. Mm. This just came up for me. You know, are there things that you also say no to? Because as you said, it doesn't look organised, but my guess is that in order to be that organised, you also have to say no to things. Yes, I say no a lot. Yes, I get a lot of approaches, particularly in the sort of charity space, because I'm a, I'm a trustee already and people know I'm passionate about diversity and inclusion and people know that I'm passionate about mental health. So I get a lot of requests either to help or to be on a charity or to speak at things. And I'm very disciplined in saying no. I know what my own capacity is and I'm already full up with the things I've described. Mm. And I know that I only want to do things that I can give my all to and give time and commitment to. And I'm stretched as far as I stretch. So I would say I am pretty disciplined in saying no quite a lot to quite a lot of people and things and you you always feel guilty you eventually become a bit better at doing it gracefully and letting people down gently but yes I think I'd probably say no every day to something 
like that. Mm. Mm. Okay. Are there other things that you've done in your life, in your career, to make sure that you have the right balance in your life for home, for work, for professional, for personal, taking care of your mental health and so on? Well, I'm a believer that everyone is actually in control of that, whether they, whether they know they are or not. Right. And that that is the only way it will ever work is for you to take personal control of these things. Mm -hmm. So yes, I'm disciplined. As I say, I, I don't work late. I don't work at weekends because those are the times for other things in my life. Mm. And I want to have that balance. And the only person who will provide that balance is me. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I didn't used to. You know, when I was younger, I was less disciplined. But I also didn't have a family, and therefore maybe I could choose a different balance. I often enjoyed working late. But one thing I say to my team very often is don't expect others to reduce your workload. You know, don't expect a company to hire you and then say, oh, don't worry, we've got nothing for you to do. Now, they will always have more work than you can possibly do. Mm. You could literally work 24-7 and still not finish all the work. So the choice is yours. And I believe the way to be happy and confident that you've done the right thing and made the right choices is to decide how many hours in the day you're willing to work and then be really good at prioritizing the mountain of work that your company or your boss gives to you so that you're working on the things that add the most value. And I always say, if I work on something important today and it adds a lot of value, then I've done my job well and I should go home happy and fulfilled. Mm. If I've worked on something relatively unimportant just because it was on a big list and I've not really added any value to the company or to my team, I should go home really disappointed that I worked on the wrong stuff. Mm. So the secret for me is having your own boundaries and then being brilliant at prioritization. Mm. And prioritization requires discipline, not getting distracted, stopping yourself from working on interesting but really low value things just because it was, you know, it was there. But it it doesn't involve finishing everything on, on a list or that anyone has said needs to be done. You will never do that. Mm. And, and I, that's hard for certain people who have a mentality that they want to tick everything off. But I think you have to get real in today's work environments. There will always be more work than can be done because that's a brilliant way of ensuring that you're controlling your costs and not having people sitting around twiddling their thumbs. Mm -hmm. So it's up to you. It's up to you. And one of the big things I'm taking out of our conversation is you talked about choices. You talked about it's up to you. You having the agency the decisions over how you spend your time and what you focus on, both in your career and in your day-to-day job. And I also picked up something which I think sometimes people miss about their career, which is it's not just about where I'm going, but it's about what do I do every day? Do I enjoy what I do every day? Does it add value and does it make me feel fulfilled like I'm that I'm contributing? And a lot of people are focused on, you know, where they're going and the, and the bigger picture purpose rather than that, oh, I actually love doing this today. I go home feeling good. Yeah, I, I think I probably spent the first decade of my career believing that the objective of being at work was to one day be the CEO. And then at some point I thought, well, hang on, that's a load of nonsense. Because firstly, I might not like what the CEO does. Mm -hmm. And I think 
very few people would, to be honest. And secondly, you know, this is a company of thousands of people and there's one CEO. So actually, statistically, I have almost no chance of ever being the CEO. Even if I'm brilliant, which I'm not necessarily, I still have almost no chance. So defining your success by some hierarchical measure is a very strange thing to do. You've got to define your success by you feeling fulfilled, feeling able to contribute, feeling able to learn and grow and having the right balance and working so that you can also do fantastic things outside of work with family or friends or cultural things or charity work or whatever turns you on. But it's certainly not about going up the greasy pole. Mm, Absolutely. As we come to a close, because we're kind of running out of time and I've loved our conversation. It's been great. You know, you are an amazing leader. You say, you know, I'm not necessarily brilliant. Let me just reassure you, you are brilliant. Not that you need my reassurance, of course, but you're an amazing marketeer. You're an amazing leader. You are making huge contributions to society. And you've, you've built a career that reflects who you are. You know, if you had to summarize, what have been the key factors that have enabled you to do that? I always think the answer to, you know, how I've got where I am is probably curiosity curiosity about people curiosity about myself and what you know turns me on curiosity about customer insight because that's a key part of what you do as a marketing communications person curiosity about change of the world around us and new ways of doing things curiosity about other people's jobs because i think you work better in a team if you're curious about what the other departments do And they want to work with you more if you're curious about what they do and you care about what they do. So I think this all comes from a combination of being broad-minded and just being nosy that makes you outward-looking and considering what's going on around you. And that allows you to spot opportunities, opportunities where you think you'd fit in or opportunities that you think you'd enjoy or where you can help others. And that tends to be quite fulfilling. So, yeah, curiosity or nosiness. In other words, <laughs> you want to summarise it as? Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. I've really enjoyed it. And all the best in everything you do. Thanks very much, Ruth. It's been a pleasure. Wasn't that great? I took away three key principles from this conversation with Zaid about managing your career. The first is be happy with the choices you make. They're your choices. So whether we're talking about choices about a career move or choices about what time you go home from work, you probably have more choice than you think you do. The second principle is know yourself well enough to know what a fulfilling day at work feels like and looks like. Because when you know what motivates and fulfills you, you'll be better equipped to make choices that include these things, which also, by the way, will lead to you being better able to contribute at your best. Third, be clear on your boundaries and then be open to anything within those boundaries. Zaid has managed a fulfilling career by being clear about what he will say no to, but remaining open to anything else and taking risks even when it's not clear how things will turn out. And that comes full circle to being happy with your choices, doesn't it? I also found it fascinating how when I asked Zaid about the key factors that had influenced where he got today, he talked about one of his driving values, curiosity. He put his finger on it. And curiosity is also a key driver of growth mindset, which is probably why he likes learning so much. And so my question to you as we close is this, 
Do you know what drives and motivates you? Do you know what a fulfilling day looks like for you? You probably do, but you may not have thought about it recently. So I want to encourage you to get curious about this, to start to observe what happens when you come home feeling truly satisfied, what you've done that day, and what, conversely, contributes to you feeling drained. If you'd like some support to explore this, then do check out my upcoming Reignite Your Purpose events on my website. I'll be running a 60-minute free online taster workshop on the 26th of August, and then a full one-day workshop here in the Swiss Romande on the 3rd of September. It's called Your Launchpad Success, and you'll get to reconnect with your purpose, identify what's holding you back, and create a plan to move forward in the direction of your vision. So that's all on my website, yourpathtosuccess.ch forward slash events. And please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to hear more inspiring conversations about navigating your path to success. Thank you.